In today's episode, I get a chance to speak to Jacqueline Burden. She and I went to King's Point at the same time, and probably the last time that we saw each other was the spring of 2008 before she graduated. I got a chance to catch up with what Jackie's been up to and all the adventures she's been having along the way. She talks to us about autonomous shipping, the future of fuels for ships, and all the organizations that she's involved in from WISTA being the chair of a very amazing board. I also love Jackie's story of how she took a big risk on herself and applied for a job that she didn't feel like she was qualified for. And I want that to be a lesson for all of us to go after our goals in big, bold ways. You are listening to the Women Offshore Podcast. I'm Christine McMillan, filling in for Ali Cedeno while she is on maternity leave. I'm an experienced mariner and the program coordinator here at Women Offshore. Women Offshore is a 501c3 nonprofit organization supporting a diverse workforce on the water. New episodes of the Women Offshore podcasts are available every Tuesday. Subscribe on whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts on and be in the know about the latest topics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion within the maritime and offshore industries. Be inspired by the stories shared here. Thank you to the OGGN for their continuous support as our podcast producer. They have the best energy shows on their network. Hi, welcome to the Women Offshore podcast. Today with me, I have Jackie Burton. Jackie, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us where you're calling in from. So I'm Jackie Burton. I'm originally from the States, but I'm calling in from Norway, where I've been living the last few years. And yeah, I started offshore or like interest in offshore. Maybe it was like 2002, 2003. So it's been a little while. Originally, I wanted to study marine biology and I was going to go to Coast Guard. And then that didn't happen. I ended up at uh, USMMA because the career prospects on that line didn't look like something that I would be interested in long term. So I kind of shifted my focus over to maritime and yeah, then I went to USMMA and met you and Ali <laughs> and so many really great people. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time since we've chatted. We thought probably 2008 was the last time that we've seen or talked to each other. So it's great to catch up and see kind of where your career has taken you since the last time we've talked. Yeah. I mean, it's been quite an adventure since last time I talked. I think about maybe a week after we talked, I signed on my first ship as third officer right after graduation. And I did like five months to Africa, then carried World Aid grain and came back doing a shipment of bulk metal. And Oh my um, gosh. Wow. Yeah. And at that time I was waiting for a callback from Accelerate Energy because they were waiting for another ship to come out of the shipyard. So I did that one contract with the union, like off the board. And then I went to Korea and got a brand new LNG carrier. Then I worked there for like seven years. Oh, wow. Um, as second and third officer. And then, yeah, then I switched and worked chief mate on like random contract work. And that's been an adventure. <laughs> it sounds like it. And so how did you end up in Norway? What brought you there? So I ended up like doom scrolling jobs for a while, <laughs> like you do on LinkedIn. No, I I was sailing as chief officer for Maersk. 
on the car carriers, which are yeah. like the U.S. side. And we had a really large engine room fire. And I was looking at my career going, okay, well, I have my master's license unlimited. Like there's nowhere up to go from here, really. So I was sitting and like, what do I want to do? Like if I can do anything with my background, what's interesting, what's happening in maritime? So it's doom scrolling jobs, like uh, what's in automation, <laughs> what's in uh, autonomy, what's, you know, because I'd heard about these autonomous ships and I was like, I really want to be involved in that kind of thing. So I did an executive MBA because I was also doom scrolling and applying like for scholarships. Like, <laughs> I ended up with a scholarship for an executive MBA program that was like an experimental program that wasn't accredited yet out of the US and I got accepted and I did that program and graduated with honors and it was like super cool. And I was like, okay, I have a shiny new degree. I'm a couple months from like needing to go back on a ship or find something new to do. And this opportunity popped up with Consberg on LinkedIn and um, it, I didn't meet any of the check marks. You know how like they have a bullet list of 5 million items. So <laughs> you must be an electrical engineer. You must have coding experience in this and this and this. And like, I don't meet any of those, but I'll just write a letter because, well, another segue in the story. I was uh, visiting my sister in Kentucky. Kentucky okay. is very famous for their bourbon distilleries. So we were like going and touring for like half the day while I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you do. And we went and toured a bunch of distillers and then I was sitting at her house in the evening, you know, doom scrolling on LinkedIn and this came up and I was like, yeah, I'll apply. I don't meet the list, but whatever. Let's just do it. What's the worst they're going to say? No, that's the same as if I didn't even see it. No problem. Exactly. Like maybe I won't hear anything back. Whatever. I'll just apply for the cool things that I think are happening that I might want to be involved in. And I wrote like a big letter alongside like the cover letter. I don't meet any of the things you asked for, but I have a lot of other skills. <laughs> and uh, I have a lot of experience from, you know, working at sea and I've worked a long time and I hate Ectus <laughs> the way it is <laughs> and I hate the, the way the radar is and it could be so much better. And I think that, you know, if you're going to make autonomous vessels, if you're making the same way you're going to make, you made Ectus, like it's going to be a disaster. Don't, don't do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I want to make sure that those problems don't happen. That's basically what I wrote. And... I got a call back. Like I woke up the next morning and I had in my inbox, like, can you interview like tomorrow? But it, because of the time difference, it was like in two hours. Oh my <laughs> like, gosh. How crazy. Oh okay. Yes. Yes, I can interview in two hours. I'm just waking up. And then I did my first interview. And then a week later I was interviewing at the office in, in Konsberg in Norway at the like town Konsberg. And then before I even got on my flight home, I had the offer to come here. And at the time, my husband was in Dubai on a project for a year doing a conversion of an LNG carrier. And I was like, let's try it. Because if it doesn't work out in like six months or whatever, you're still on that project. I can go and get a ship in the States and just be done. And, you know, four years later... <laughs> So here in Norway, but I've had four roles since then. So like first I started as a technical advisor for a technical product advisor for automation products. So like okay. the K-Chief systems and those things. 
And then we had, they announced on my first day that we purchased Rolls-Royce Marine. Oh, wow. Um, so then I got moved to the harmonization team, like after, I think it was a little less than a year, um, to harmonize the product lines, so the pro- product lines between what Rolls-Royce makes and what we make and making okay. them work together because there were a lot of duplicate products and those kind of things. And then I moved from there because I started focusing on this human machine interface, like what do the products do for the people who use them and how Mm -hmm. can they use them better? You know, because of my hatred of (laughs) Ectus. And then that happened and I took that over like in the harmonization. I ran a couple of projects on harmonizing the, the human machine interface between the bridge and automation products and all of them because the user is the same. Like when you're standing on the bridge of the ship, you're using the automation system, you're using the Actus, you're using the radar, you're using everything that we make. And they can't all be so different. Like it would make sense that all the menus are the same and those kinds of things. Right. Yeah. Like totally. You turn it off the same, you dim it in the same place. Like, yeah, you know, it makes sense. <laughs> right. So I did that project and then I ended up well, going on maternity leave. <laughs> I had a small person and then coming back and looking for like a new role internally that I kind of ended up shaping for myself. Okay. Because at that point, the harmonization was kind of finishing. Okay. And then it was like, okay, well, what now? Well, now there needs to be a place for design in Consberg, like a real home for design. And so then I got a whole team of designers that are like collected from different parts of the organization. And now I got moved up to the technology management team. And then I have my team for design beneath me. We run the design projects on all of the different products. So like DP and K chief and K bridge and yeah, lots of things. The whole, the whole gamut. So it sounds like you just got in there and started rolling with it. And I mean, you obviously go back to work every day with a lot of excitement. I mean, is there something that you want to tell us about your work right now that like makes you really excited? Yeah, I mean, some things are really exciting. Like the first autonomous vessel is now sailing. Oh it's not gosh. sailing fully without crew, but it's sailing now, the Yara Berklin. And we have two more vessels getting delivered quite soon for ASCO, which is like a grocery distributor. And it's really interesting that those companies that came into autonomous shipping they're not shipping companies. They're companies with logistics needs that oh. want their whole logistics chain to be aligned yeah. and they want it to be zero emissions and more sustainable and other things. So they're like fully electric vessels, which is actually easier for automation because then you don't have so many maintenance issues. Okay. Like you would if you had like fuel purifiers and those kind of things that we all know take so much maintenance. So the change in energy systems is also allowing more automation to take place. But I think it's really interesting for the future of work because a lot of mariners can then take completely different types of roles where they might go home every night, but they're still driving ships every day. Or they might be on a jump team to go do maintenance for a vessel that's in port or to go save a stranded vessel or whatever. But there's also less human factor risk involved in something. There's a lot of shifts in it because of course you have the control system and the way that it's made and it's made by humans. So there can be errors. So you have new human factors issues that can be introduced, but you also have different ones that are taken away as far as like 
if you look at a large ocean carrier, you could have like an unmanned bridge. So then you have better rest work hours, like you have yeah. unmanned engine room. Yeah. But uh, there's this interesting stuff going yeah. on. Yeah. So like explain to me how it would work if I was a third mate on an autonomous ship. Like what would my day-to-day work be if I was currently out there on this like semi-autonomous ship? Yeah. I mean, you still have all the safety inspections because if you've got a manned vessel, you still got safety equipment, but you've also got a very different kind of bridge watch if you have one, because you really have to partner with the automation system. It's your friend. It's your partner on the bridge. Just like VDR has become kind of a partner that you narrate things to while you're navigating and say... Now I'm doing this for this reason. And now I'm doing that for that reason. Now you also have the automated system doing the same thing where they're saying, I see these things in the environment. And so the ship has decided that we shall turn. So you have this virtual watchstander who's a partner with you that you have to have a relationship with. You have to know what they're doing and why they're making that decision and what they're analyzing and what their limitations are, because there are things that it will have a limitation that you might not have, but humans have limitations too. I mean, as a lookout, you're not particularly reliable to not just space out in your mind. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, it's really interesting to see how those partnerships will happen. And my team works a lot with that. What's that interface on the bridge look like between the machine? I mean, when it's making a decision to like, let's say make a turn, even if it is like a waypoint turn, yeah. does it, tell you. it gives you feedback, right? And, and yeah. then like, it has to be acknowledged by a human still or? Kind of. So right now we have interfaces that's called like the u- autonomy user interface, for example. And those interfaces show the predicted path of the vessel and the predicted path of all all vectors or anything seen in the vicinity, no matter how it's from. So like, it's not just the radar signal, but also things that are seen by camera systems, what the camera system thinks it is as it's been identified, what a LIDAR system thinks it might be, how far exactly it is, because that's the nice thing about the LIDAR systems. You can tell exact distance a lot of the time, but you can also have false echoes. So it can say, I think that this isn't real and these are real and all of this, all of the sensor input in one place. Wow. And then it looks a little bit like the chart overlay Okay. in a lot of ways. So it's processed information. You're not looking at the raw data. Like when you look at a radar and you turn all the gain off, then you're looking at raw data. You're not looking necessarily at the raw data, but you're looking at the processed image that the machine learning thinks it looks like. Okay. Yeah. So then it will tell you, like, I'm expecting to turn in this time and has a timeline and it has all of the live information about what it's going to do. So it's either continuing on its path or it's going to make a turn or it has a planned turn or it has a speed change or it's changing speed because of something. And that's all shown in that like user interface. And I call it like, in my personal way, I call it uh, like radar (laughs) 3.0. Because, you know, things are kind of blending when you have that multi-user interface. So like you can switch it between Ectus and radar and conning display and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. This is another step up 
there because you have the information from the actus, but you also have the information from the radar and you also have the information from all the sensor systems. But I think it will take a long time for the regulation to catch up. So it'll be like for a little while an extra screen, but I really hope that that's not going to be the end solution, but it's also the regulators that play a part in this into what it could look like. Yeah. But right now we have, like it's like a separate display almost. Um, okay. But yeah, for the manned vessel, because you still have to have everything that the regular vessel would have by regulation. So, so tell me more about like the emission side of what Kongsberg's working on. And I mean, that's being driven by the consumer to some point, and then mm-hmm. you're having to respond to the needs of, of what they want. So Yeah, so I mean, right now we're exploring different fuel systems. We support all different kinds of fuel systems. We support all different like wind-driven systems as well, as far as as an integrator. But we also have like battery-powered vessels. So we supply batteries to make fully electric vessels. But of course, there's a lot of limitations to that as well. And also fuel gas systems like the LNG-powered whatever ship. Not okay. LNG-powered <laughs> LNG tanker, like I used to work on, but an uh-huh. LNG-powered everything. And the interesting thing with LNG is that there is now biogas that can be used as liquefied natural gas. So then you can really have something that you can change to at least uh, emissions neutral or even like negative emissions, depending on how you want to define it. Because if you have biogas that's being produced by landfill, that would be going into the air. So then maybe it's a negative to, to take it out, but oh, there's wow. debates over that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there's actually, in Oslo, there's a biogas center. They can fuel vessels. So, oh, wow. and the woman who runs it, like also fueled biogas, her name's Catherine Sund, I think. And I met with her for coffee a few times. She's super awesome. She used to be in, in LNG, but now she switched to, to biogas and they produce biogas here for the vessels and buses and all different applications. Okay. So they can then use biogas. So I think, you know, as far as things that are now, if you have short journeys, you can do batteries and then you can do batteries plus biogas as a really interesting way to do it. Although biogas is still like in low supply as demand goes up, supply will go up because more companies will go into producing it. I think, yeah, as far as being future ready, I think it's a really interesting place to be. Ammonia and hydrogen. Yeah, we, we've made one vessel in a, a Europe-funded research program. There's one vessel that's, that's on hydrogen fuel cells that we were involved in that I'm aware of. I mean, you can check our press releases. There's stories all the time. But, you know, hydrogen has some concerns for mariners. Because yeah. it's, yeah, explosive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of danger there. Yeah, and you know it's also a danger for the port because and port security because you're you're not taking just a little bit of hydrogen, you're taking quite a lot. And yeah. there was not so long ago also here in Norway because there's some hydrogen powered cars. They had a hydrogen power fueling facility for cars mm-hmm. that leaked some. And had an explosion and it was like not even a lot leaked. I think it was like three liters or something like that. Like, And they had like so much damage. And you just look at that and go, 
what's the probability that someone makes a mistake with hydrogen and that it's catastrophic? And I think that that probability is quite high. And then there's also the energy density problems, like you'd have to carry so much of it and give up so much cargo space to be able to make the same transit. Okay. There's also that concern. And then with ammonia, it's similar, except for it's poisonous. And, you know, there's been ammonia tankers for a long time, but they weren't taking that ammonia inside of the engine room. Oh, Uh, okay. And then you introduce all kinds of other problems. So, you know, I think there's a lot of challenges. I don't think that they are not able to be overcome. And I think that if you're switching to those future fuels like ammonia or hydrogen, it's much better to have an autonomous vessel with no one on it. Oh, (laughs) that makes sense. Yeah. Because then you're not risking lives in case something happens. You just lose some equipment and you build new equipment. And yeah. Yeah, not nearly as detrimental to the human factor. So Jackie, you're really involved with a lot of different organizations outside of Kongsberg. Do you want to talk about any of those? Yeah. So I've been mentoring with Women Offshore for like ever, I think. Yeah. Thank Um, you so much. And I'm on the board of WISTA, the Women in Shipping and Transportation Association here in, in Norway. So we just pushed a campaign actually out at North Shipping, which is like a big shipping conference that happens here in Oslo with the Ship Owners Association, who is part of it. And it's the 40 by 30 campaign to have 40% women in leadership in maritime in of the signatories by 2030. We oh, wow. quite a few companies that have signed on and we're running workshops with them to try to, to help them build their pipeline of women in leadership because they have eight years. You yeah. have time. There are women that are so capable and interested in taking on these leadership roles. You just need to make it possible for them to take them on. You need to have them in the consideration mm-hmm. because a lot of the time they don't get mentioned necessarily. So there's that. That's WISTA. And then I'm also the chairman of the board for the Sustainable Autonomous Mobility Systems business cluster in Norway. Wow. um, Which is really interesting. Uh, It's my first role as chairman of the board and kind of leading the strategy of what what that organization will do, which is really interesting. And, you know, it's not just the sustainable autonomous mobility by sea, but also by land and by rail and by air. So there's 56 different companies involved. Yeah, so it's it's really interesting, a new challenge for me. I just joined the board there at the beginning of the summer, and I wasn't expecting to be voted as chair. But the, one of the previous chairmen had said that, would you consider it? If we nominate you, I'm like, yeah, I'll consider it. But I need to know more about what it does and how the cluster interacts because I have never really been part of a cluster before. But there's 56 different companies involved and they're involved in all different kinds of research projects. And the cluster, in a lot of ways, tries to matchmake them. So you have like a technology supplier that supplies this technology and another supplier that supplies these technologies and they all bridge together to have you know a cohesive ecosystem to enable that kind of transportation. Wow. Um, so it also like partners with townships and there's kind of a big one. And also where they want to have autonomous ferries 
connected to the bus systems that are connected to the train systems. So you could book your entire journey through an app and have all of the timings work out and everything. It's super interesting challenges that they're looking at. And, you know, I'm kind of excited to see what the next two years brings with me uh, there on the board or leading the board in some ways. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's amazing. So, you know, you are like a huge wave maker within the entire industry. And I don't know if you get a lot of sleep or not, especially with a little person underfoot. Right. And you just are amazing. You're, the work you're doing is really, I don't think I've said wow so many times in a short amount of time. So thank you so much for coming on and just talking to me about this. And if people want to get more information about autonomous vessels, or even like, if they want a job at Kongsberg, because you've inspired them. Yeah, so Kongsberg has open applications on our website. So there's always new jobs being posted. And there's also the I don't fit in any job category application. (laughs) which is always an interesting one and probably my favorite. But yeah, so you can apply to Consberg on, online. If you want to learn more about autonomous shipping, I would say go to the SAMS website. They have a lot of kind of interesting resources and links to articles. Otherwise, there's tons of press releases on Consberg.com about like the different autonomous ships and different projects that we've been involved in. Yeah, and I'm on LinkedIn. Everyone can find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> Okay. And your name is Jacqueline Burton and she's Kongsberg. She's amazing. I recommend you look her up on LinkedIn and look up Kongsberg. The work that they're doing is really incredible. It's futuristic in some respects when we've, you know, even just 10 years ago when we were out there and, you know, working with that clunky Ectus, like you said, it feels so cool to, to just be moving forward. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not that new, like Consberg was doing remote DP in 1998. So they did an unmanned DP vessel in 1998 to launch uh, rockets for, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Dang. We didn't hear about that. Now we yeah. have. Thank yeah. you, Jackie. Thanks. So anything else that you want to share with our community? Just that Allie's awesome. Thank you, Allie, for Allie setting this up and, you know, really taking, I remember when she reached out, I was, in 2015, I had like started this dinky little maritime training company and I was getting so much hate mail, so much hate mail. And at the time she was just like getting started with women offshore and, you know, she was having a hard time getting some things rolling and, and everything. She asked if I wanted to be involved and I told her no then because <laughs> I was so overwhelmed with what was happening with my own stuff. And yeah, she persevered and she's been absolutely amazing. Yep. And Allie now has her own little human. She gave birth yesterday to a little girl. And so congratulations, Allie. And, you know, it's it's amazing that we're just trying to build this better future in the maritime industry for the next generation. So Jackie, you're a huge part of that. And thank you. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the Women Offshore podcast. What did you think of the show? Leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Additionally, if you want to propel Women Offshore forward, please visit womenoffshore.org or womenoffshore.shop, make a donation, or purchase some swag. Until next time, stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon.